All right, so here we go. Um, by the way, I, what I was going to say is that coincidentally things um, you know, seem to line up sometimes between Bible class and what we're doing in church or what's happening in the church here. Uh, but the reason for that is that, I don't know if you've caught this, maybe, maybe I can diagram this a little bit. We're going to talk about time here for a minute. So in Genesis, this is all going to lead to the Kyrie, by the way. In Genesis, you have evening and you have morning, and that's a a day, all right? So that's a day. But then you have seven of those, right? And that becomes a week, right? And then 14 of those, and that's months, well, in the Hebrew calendar. Wait, really? Yeah. Yeah, the 14th month. Remember Nisan? That's when Passover is, the 14th month, the last month of the year. Is that 14 months? Yeah, 14 months. Yeah. How does that It doesn't have to add up. They just skip things here and there, and they make it work. What? That's what we do. We have a leap year. And then, and then every hundred years, I think it's another day, right? Yeah, none of you live long enough to notice. Yeah, daylight saving times we just made up. That's not real, right? Right. So then we have year. And then, of course, I won't keep drawing circles. Decade. And then century. And then what? And I guess millennia. Is it two L's? I'll say it's two L's. All right, so it just keeps going, right? But the pattern of Genesis is morning and evening, a week, and then 14 months and it's a year, all right? Uh, And that's interesting because um, actually in the wisdom of the church, we've patterned the church um, in the same way. So there's, there's each day, there's morning and evening, evening and morning, excuse me, prayers, right? Except we do evening, morning and evening. Uh, and then there's the week with the Sabbath, right? Which is the grounding of the week. And then there's seasons. We could have put seasons in here, right? Months. Months, or you could say seasons, maybe in here. All right. Anyway, the church reflects this. All right. So then that the, the whole church year goes from the beginning of Advent all the way through to Holy Trinity Sunday. And it, but it actually, it's patterned Here's what's interesting about the church year is the church year is patterned after the divine service. Which is the divine service is actually patterned after your life or your life is patterned after it. I don't know which came first. You think about this? Because you begin dead in trespasses and sins. You repent. You're brought to new life in your baptism. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. You're led, instructed in God's word until you receive the culminating meal which is the marriage feast of the lamb and his kingdom that has no end. Right? So by the end of the service, you're in heaven. So it's birth to death and resurrection. Do you ever notice that? Right. Church here is the same way. It starts with birth and it ends with a death and a resurrection. Huh, go figure. Um, so then when we, my point is, is when we talk about the liturgy and we're working our way through it, and we're work, we started it at the beginning of the church here, it coincidentally kind of lines up, doesn't it? That we're going to talk about the Kyrie today. Next week, we're going to talk about the Gloria which is the song of the angels at Christmas. So we'll be ready to sing that song again. We're not singing it right now. You notice that, right? It's omitted during Advent. But today's Kyrie, which just means? Uh, Lord. Lord, right, Lord. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about the word that comes after that. Kyrie eleison, right, eleison. You know that word. 
Lord, have mercy, have mercy right? Um, was it Friday or Thursday in the, in the morning prayer that we do? I gave you the Hebrew word for mercy, steadfast loving kindness. I know, I did it with you too. I'm going to write it out in English. Yeah, but it's, it's steadfast, loving, kindness. Oh, jeez. Kindness. Good, great Hebrew, guys. Right. The, the CH, this is a guttural. It's in the back of your throat. So it's chesed. Like that. Dorothy, good job. No, she was choking on the bread. That's okay. That's right. Yeah, chesed, which by sh- for short, we usually say mercy. Sometimes we say steadfast love. If you really want to just kind of fill it all out, it's steadfast loving kindness, mercy. <laughs> this is the problem. I mentioned it in the sermon too, right? The Hebrew word kavav for, for hope is also the, one, the word for to wait. So it can be translated one of both ways. All right, so... Uh, why did I bring this up? Steadfast loving kindness, right? Lord have mercy. We want to talk about mercy. Eleison, by the way, is Greek and then into Latin. But it's the same. It's a translation of this word. Chesed. If you like your Hebrew. I'd write it out in Hebrew, but it wouldn't benefit you at all. You could teach us. All right. Um, let's look at these Psalms really quick. You see the Psalms? Oh, wait a minute. Before you did that, I had some up on the screen for you. <laughs> I say really quick. There's nothing really quick. Uh, this was the end of Simeon's song, which we talked about on Friday in the uh, congregation at prayer, right? So this was, not Simeon, <laughs> Zechariah, the Benedictus, right? Simeon, I'm, I'm already thinking about, which is the Sunday after Christmas, so I'm already thinking about that. But um, anyway, this is Zechariah's song. Notice what he said. This is about who? Jean de Baptiste, right? Um, if you're French. Anybody French? Nobody French? No, a little bit? Okay. Jean de Baptiste, right? We. Oui. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, right? So he's talking about John, who Isaiah foretold, right? Go prepare a way for the Lord, make straight paths in the wilderness, right? But what did Isaiah say? He said, declare that their warfare is ended and that their iniquity is pardoned, right? Now notice what John's father says. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Almost as if he knew Isaiah. That would make sense. He's a priest. <laughs> he knows the scriptures. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, the forgiveness of their sins. So her iniquity is pardoned, her sins are forgiven, or her sins are remitted. Remitted Through, but here's the key, through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring on high, the day star, has visited us, that's from Micah 4, right? To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. I just, we didn't talk about it when we looked at, we talked about it a little bit when we looked at this text on Friday, but it's definitely, sounds just like our Old Testament text today, doesn't it? So this is, when it says that they were, right here, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, he didn't just pull words out of thin air. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and what did he remember? Isaiah. The words he had heard, Isaiah, Micah, Jer- uh, Zechariah. He remembered the prophetic words. And he sang a new song, but the song was, it's a summary of the songs that had already been sung. 
Same thing happens with Mary, same thing happens with Elizabeth, right? And the same thing happens with us in church. If we're singing something new, we're doing it wrong. <laughs> By new, I mean the message, like, I've never heard this before. That, if anybody says that, I get very uncomfortable. <laughs> I've never heard that before. If, unless it's like, you just never were taught it. But if it's like, the pastor comes along saying something that has never been taught before in the Christian church is the one that you run away from. <laughs> get away, run away, Right? So that's all Zechariah is doing. He's just the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He causes you to remember the words of Jesus. That's why the Spirit was given to the disciples, right? On, on Pentecost. All right. So anyway, it's an interesting note. But, I, but the, key, the key there is right there is this mercy, right? This chesed to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, which is to give holiness and righteousness. Or if you prefer knowledge of salvation by the remission of their sins, right? And so that's what the Kyrie is about. We come before God, right? And we, we plead, Lord, have mercy. How can we say such a thing? It seems kind of bold, doesn't it? He's, he's pro- the mercy promised to our fathers, right? So all we're asking for is what he's already promised to us. I mentioned that in the sermon a little bit. All right, so let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 6, verse 2. I'm going to jump to them. You can see them on the screen, hopefully. All right. Oh, this is a whole other topic, but we'll, we'll read it first, and then we'll talk about it. Hi, Dorothy. Are you going to t- make a mess again? I'm just going to save myself the anguish. All right. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? All right. Um, so the question is, write down how the psalm describes how we are in the presence of the Lord. How are we? Have mercy on me. Why? For I am weak and... My bones are troubled. That's kind of a weird expression, isn't it? What does that mean? I talked about it in the sermon a little bit. Bones. Sometimes it's your bones are broken or troubled. Do you ever have that aching in your bones? You guys do. Most of you are older than me. I'm feeling it. I was feeling it yesterday. I got up and I'm like, man, I'm getting old. Just all that, all that inflammation, you know? I just can't help it anymore. Your bones hurt all the time. You get this, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's that weakness, I guess. <laughs> right. So your prayer is, have mercy on me, right? There you go. That's right. That's right. Um, I wanted to talk about one thing. It was a whole other sermon that I didn't write. Um, but it's an interesting idea. It's an interesting point. You notice that in the Isaiah reading... Uh, it didn't shy away from the idea that God is actually angry. Or the psalm, the same thing. He's angry and he, he chastens in his displeasure. God is displeased, he's angry. Mm. How is that? Yeah, it's righteous anger, that's true. Why is it righteous anger? What is he angry about? That we have sinned. Yeah, sin is rebellion against God, right? That was that warfare that Isaiah talked about. It's not warfare between you and other people. It's the warfare between you and God. You've made God your enemy. 
And he says, peace, not a peace treaty. Uh, what would you call it when it's unilateral? He says, you can keep fighting. I imagine it's like uh, Aslan in Chronicles of Narnia. Have you read that? You know, with, uh, at the end, isn't it Trumpkin the dwarf? Where Aslan's just like throwing him from... Okay, yeah, he's just like throwing him from paw to paw, and the dwarf is just terrified, and Aslan's laughing. Because <laughs> he's just having fun with the dwarf, and the dwarf thinks it's terrible. Because it's a lion, right? Except he's, a, he's not a tame lion, but he's a good lion. That's, that's the line, right? From Narnia. I feel like that's how it is with God. You know, um, sometimes we're terrified, and all he's doing is he's just, he's training us. Like a child, right? Like, uh, oh, like, where's Patrick? He's over at Sunday school. His new thing is to, like, just bull rush you when he's mad and try to just, like, run right into you repeatedly. Wait, he does that now? To mom and to me, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Screaming. He does it to me. And it's, it's, it's kind of annoying, but it's really kind of humorous, too, because it's like, you, one, it's not going to accomplish anything good or productive. Um, he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. Right, and that's my point. He thinks that it's going to accomplish something, yelling and screaming and pounding and running into you. And he's like, a, he's like an ant compared to us. <laughs> you know? Maybe not an ant. It's okay. Don't worry about it, Leah. All right, good. Psalm 6-2. So, oh, what was I going to say? Um, great quote that I found this morning from uh, in reading on Isaiah. This is from August Pieper. Anybody know August Pieper? Anybody heard of August Pieper? August? August? Yeah, you've heard of a peeper. You've heard of France. All right, France left the um, Wisconsin Senate and joined the Missouri Senate, and he wrote our first dogmatics, and he was our second president. Oh, that's where I heard it. Yeah. His brother, August, stayed with the Wisconsin Senate and taught at uh, Wisconsin Seminary and wrote, wrote a commentary on it. Yeah, so listen to this. Um, where did I put it? Uh, I, I, I write lots of things down. Dun, dun, dun. Where did I put it? Ah, I lost it. I was going to read. It's not in here. Oh, well. August said, I'll just summarize it because I can't find it now, that um, in Jesus, both, both we have the answer to all of God's words. His words of anger and displeasure towards sin, but also his words of promise of mercy and grace. In Jesus crucified. I thought it was a brilliant statement. If I had it in front of me, I'd, I'd read it to you. I don't know what I'd do with it. Isn't that, isn't that, so everything culminates in Jesus. If you want to understand how God feels about sin, look to Jesus crucified. If you want to look to see how God feels about your sin, look to Jesus crucified for the forgiveness of sins. You see? So you can look at the same cross and you can get two very different pictures of how God feels about you. Right? Because you see the full anger and displeasure towards sin made evident in Jesus. But without that word for you, for the forgiveness of sins, you would only see God as just being an angry God. So to understand something like this, rebuke me not in your anger, chasten me not in your hot displeasure, look at what he did to Jesus in your place. Right? Have mercy on me, for I am weak. Right? Why? How do, how do you know he's going to have mercy on you? In Jesus. All right. Let's, I read you more. I talk to you more about that. But that's, we'll wait till uh, I don't know, Holy Week or something. Psalm 25, 25, it says verse 16, there you go, well, this is an interesting expression actually, what are you doing babe, Here. 
Everybody there? Good. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. That's uh, myocarditis, right? (laughs) Bring me out of my distress. That wasn't funny, no. Bring me out of my distress. Look on all my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. You see mercy and forgiveness, again, put together, right? So the question is, um, how are we in the presence of God? What's the description there in verse 16? Yeah, desolate and afflicted, right? You're like a, a what does it say in this, how does the psalmist say it? My, my heart is like a parched land, right? Like a desert, dried up. Lowly? Lonely, yeah, abandoned, right? Are you actually abandoned? Again, from the sermon, no. Does it seem that way? <laughs> I mean, I made light of it. 70 years in Babylon, you know, it's not a long time. You're like, 70 years is a long time, right, from our perspective. God's perspective, that's fine. It's just 70 years. It's a brief momentary thing. Could have been Egypt. That was 400 years. Oh, well. Yeah, desolate and afflicted. I love the Psalms, by the way, and this is one of the reasons for it, is that God doesn't want us to shy away from telling him how we really feel. (laughs) You know, there's no need to kind of sugarcoat things with God. Read Psalm 6. Is that on our list? No. Oh, yeah, we just read Psalm 6. Yeah. Psalm 6. If you read the whole psalm, it's like, no, he's not holding anything back. Just say it. Just say it. It's one of my laments is that we don't actually speak this way in church. What we need to do is learn how to gather. You're so happy with yourself. To gather in prayer in times of affliction as well, not just in times of joy. And we wait till it's like a really big disaster. And maybe we need to just do it with shorter things. But, um, and get together and lament together, right? Uh, this is why I encourage you to go to funerals for members or members, family members or community members or whatever. Um, just to grieve with them, lament with them, and pray with them. Um, even if you don't know them, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 Immunocompromised. That's the what happened. Yeah. Well, that's a hot button topic, is it not? Whatever it takes to kill him. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. Yeah. There's too many stories like that. I think it's hard to ignore anymore. But unfortunately. Um, so what should we do? We should lament actually and pray and pray for our friends and. You know, and we'll pray for the miracle cure to the miracle cure. That's awkward. I don't know. Uh, it's just, all it, all it is is autoimmune uh, deficiency syndrome. You've heard of that before? It's the same symptoms as HIV infection. All right, that's not great. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. That's, that's pretty honest. <laughs> yeah. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? Oh. And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. That doesn't sound like a, oh, it's an enemy, not a friend. Okay, good. Whew. Yeah. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you, right? That word sin is kind of, 
Unfortunately, it's kind of empty of meaning for a lot of people. Um, but it, it means that rebellion against uh, who you are, who God has made you, who God has, what God has said, um, how he would um, speak to you, and you disagree with him. That's what sin is. Just disagreeing with God. Having other gods, or however you want to look at it. Make sense? So here we're saying, yep, that's true, and so have mercy on me. All right? Uh, how about another one? Psalm 120. Three. You'll see these all over the Psalms, but just trying to point it out. Oh, this is one of the Psalms of Ascent. We just prayed this a few weeks ago. Remember, these are the Psalms that you pray when you go up to Jerusalem, ascend up the hill, Mount Zion. All right. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters and eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. This is interesting. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. Isn't that interesting? So we come before God asking his mercy because we are held in contempt. I always think, when do we use that term? Contempt of court, right? What does that mean when you're in contempt of court? Yeah, it's when you refuse to obey the summons, right, of the illegitimate uh, um, nonpartisan group <laughs> that's telling, oh, wait, you're supposed to have, a, have leaders from both sides of the party represented. Oops. Yeah, and so some people are choosing to be in contempt of Congress, right, because... Because the whole thing's a sham. Well, maybe not the whole thing, but a lot of it is. At least the premise and the people involved in the charges. Okay, yeah. So, but others hold us in contempt. Why? Because of what we believe, right? People, like, like Christians gathering together and, and singing um, songs of joy and praise, singing, like I've had people who actually get upset with, with me when I suggest we sing Easter songs at a funeral. Why? They don't want to be happy, right? And they actually, they look with scorn or contempt on those who try to say it's a time for both grief and joy, right? Grief in the loss and and death, but joy in the promised resurrection, right? Forgiveness of sins, yeah. Um, I think it seems like a paradox because uh, Mm. God doesn't want people to complain. We lo- this worthless boot food, right? The worthless bread. Yeah, that's true. He, they, com- they complained to Moses. They didn't complain to God. And then Moses is the one who had to intercede on their behalf. Right? So you had that with the food, the water. You end up with the golden, you know. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. They didn't like the gods that, he, that brought him out because they weren't like the Egyptian gods. Yeah, people complain a lot. Yeah, Job. Here's, if there's probably one theme about God's people that is true from the beginning, Adam and Eve, all the way through until the resurrection, is that the assembly of the believers are also the assembly of the complainers. Just go to a voters' assembly. Joking. A little. Okay, come to a board meeting, council. It's hard not to complain, right? Because you always have something that you feel is some kind of injustice or inequity or 
Um, God hasn't provided for you, right? And so the point of this exercise is to just recognize that there's all these reasons why we would come before God pleading for his mercy, right? Not just our own personal sin, but the way that sin has broken out in this world and affects us, you know, from enemies, from, um, you know, our bodily weakness, um, as we are in the shadow of death and just said in the prayer, death casts a long shadow, right? Kind of underneath that shadow. It's like um, Mordor, right? Its shadow grows long. Isn't that what Tolkien says? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's Gandalf, but it's Tolkien. All right, Psalm 119, my, my favorite psalm, the shortest psalm in the book. It's also the middle of the Bible, Shakespeare, that whole thing, right? If you have a King James Bible, you know that story. Yeah, there's something like, yeah, there's people. Okay, so there's this whole theory that, that Shakespeare was one of the contributors to the Coverdale and later to the King James, that he contributed in translating the Psalms especially and that he wrote his own name in there somehow. You take like letters and numbers and somebody can Google it and find it. There's not, yeah, anyway, it's one of those fun things. 132, right? I opened my mouth and panted for I longed for your commandments. Look upon me and be merciful to me as your custom is toward those who love your name. Right? Why can we trust that the Lord will have mercy on us? That's an interesting expression, isn't it? Your custom is toward those who love you. What's your translation say, Ron? For th- you always do. Yeah. Yeah. A custom is something that you, you don't set aside lightly, right? Yeah. So as God always promises to hear, we can always call upon him to hear, right? I was going to mention that with the other psalm and I forgot about it. It was a weird expression, actually. We ask God to repent. Did you catch that? Turn to me, O Lord. Right? And that's what repentance is, is to turn toward. So instead of us turning toward God, we're asking God to turn back towards us. But we do that in the service all the time. You ever notice this? I face one way, I face the other way. I like at the blessing at the end, who's fa- I'm facing you. Not because I'm special or you want to look at me in my stupid beard or whatever. But because the word is, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you. It's your cheekbones. Uh, and give you peace, right? So it's God's face shining upon you. You want God to look upon you. <laughs> Uh, to give you mercy. So that's the way we end, and that's the, where we start as well. All right. So turn the page. We don't need to read Hebrews. We've got to get to the story. Uh, read the story of Blind Bartimaeus. Halfway down the page on page 42. So let's do that. You see it right in the middle? Mark 10, 46. To, you know this story? You'll recognize it. All right, here we go. Now they came to Jericho, interesting place. As he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, interesting, son of David, have mercy on me. Then they warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. If you do not succeed, at first you do not succeed, 
Try, try again. Okay, there we go. Have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. (laughs) Can you imagine? He's blind and he's naked and he's running toward me. Awkward. (laughs) Well, maybe he still had undergarments on. Okay, we'll see. Anyway, uh, so Jesus answered and said to him, what do you, do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher, of course, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. <laughs> he didn't follow Jesus' instruction. Did you notice that? Go your way. What does he do? He goes Jesus' way. Yeah, he goes Jesus' way. That's his new way, right? Because of faith, faith follows Jesus. Huh, I don't know. That would be a good sermon for someday. All right, we'll have to save that. All right, what did Jesus, what did Bartimaeus first call Jesus? This is key here. Did it twice. Son of David. Yeah, why do you think that is? Why call him son of David? Yeah, he is from the line of David, but why does that matter? This is a hard question, maybe. I don't know. All right, who was David? King. King, right? What, do king, what can kings do? Largely whatever they want. That's right. No, you would go to the king uh, because the king functioned as judge as well. So David functions as judge. You see this with Solomon, right? They bring the, the two women, bring the baby, the whole deal. Right. Uh, you go to the king for judgment. He's the highest court as well. They didn't have the separation of powers like we have. Actually, we don't really either. But that's another story. <laughs> all right. They didn't really have a separation of powers at all. Um, so the king was also the judge. He was the highest court. So you go to the king and you plead for mercy, right? Spare me of what I deserve and give me not what I deserve, but according to your mercy. Right? You can go before a judge and plead mercy today, right? Can't you? Usually it's like during a parole hearing or something, right? Yeah, and you would ask that you're, you know, because you've been on good behavior or something like that or you exhibited some kind of rehabilitation that, you know, they may lighten your sentence later on or, you know, shorten your term or something like that. Yeah. So it's effectively like that. All right. How many times does he say, Lord, have mercy? Three. Right? No. Two? Twice. Yeah. Have mercy. Have mercy. The third time he, Jesus just says, what do you want me to do? And he just tells him what to do. Right. You see that? All right. What did Jesus say to Bartimaeus about his faith? Yeah, has healed him. By the way, the word for made you well, this is another one of these words where they translate it differently and it kind of obscures the meaning of it, right? Um, Have we talked about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it, right? Some people translate that, obey. But it's actually the same word like Mary Mary does when the angel speaks to her. And And Mary pondered these things and treasured them in her heart to keep is to treasure it can mean obey but to obey is actually to keep it so obedience this is interesting the bible's view of obedience is actually one of listening to obey is to listen well you know this right parents with children you're not listening to me is another way of saying you're not obeying me yeah who had their hand up i saw a finger yeah run mm-hmm yeah. And then you have to 
Right. 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 Yeah. So with that statement from Mary, it's not really what's here, but uh, when she says she treasured these things in her heart, it means she heard them and she committed them to memory so that she could recall them when St. St. Luke came by to interview her and say, hey, can you tell me about the birth of Jesus so I can write it down, right? And with the exception of Matthew, who was pretty close to Mary, apparently, um, St. Luke, who was a disciple of Paul, came back and recorded for, for us the birth stories and the visit to Elizabeth and those things that we hear this time of year. Uh, but here, it's a different word. Right, he received, oh, it said, go your way, your faith has, and you see the little seven? That's to indicate that they fudged it a little bit. They want me to click on that number. I'm going to do it. Literally, saved you. Yeah. This is salvation language. Your faith saves you. Right. Isn't that interesting? So they even, they even acknowledge, yeah, we didn't translate it the way. <laughs> we, <sighs> right, so then that obscures it, right? You don't see that that same word shows up elsewhere for salvation. He's saved. That's why he follows Jesus. Um, by the way, another expression, another trick that you can do in the New Testament, I'm giving you a lot of tricks here. Tips, hat tips, what do you call it? Life, less, life hacks, Bible hacks, we'll call it. Church hacks. Church hacks. I should do YouTube videos. Here's your church hack for the day. Um, anytime it says faith, just put Jesus, Jesus there. Try this, try the expression, right? Go your way, your Jesus has made you well. It works, doesn't it? Yeah. Blessed are those... Let me think of another faith word. Give me a faith Bible verse. By grace you're saved through faith or Jesus alone. Yeah, you see how it works? Because faith is in Jesus or it's not faith at all. Okay. Fun time, right? Jesus comes by hearing. Good call. That would have worked well in the sermon. Could have done that. I kind of like the interactive sermon better than the pulpit sermon, but that's how these things go sometimes. All right, so here we go. In Jesus' day, many people thought that if someone was blind, it was because he had sinned or his parents had sinned. Remember? Which, who sinned? The man or his parents? That's in John. They thought that God punished the sinner with blindness. And probably most people think that whatever they experience is God's punishment for their sin. All right? And not just because you are a sinner and you live in a sinful world. Yeah. One-to-one correlation. What did I do? The people in the crowd would have thought that Bartimaeus was a sinner. True story. Bartimaeus was a sinner, but so was everyone in the crowd. Everyone is a sinner and everyone needs God's mercy. Just because Bartimaeus was blind does not mean that he was more of a sinner than anybody else. All right? We still have this problem. Rome did this in the medieval period, and some, I think some Roman Catholics still think of this way, right? They have the categories of sin. You have venial sins, mortal sins. It's like, and then, then the Protestants make things even worse by saying, well, all sin is equal. And you're like, no, not all sin is equal. <laughs> well, then which is it, pastor? Are there categories or is it all equal? Well, it depends on who you're, what you're talking about. Before God, every sin damns, right? Little or big. Lust, adultery, right? Or hate, murder, you know? whatever the scale is, right? Before one another, is all sin the same? If you hate your brother, is that different than if you take his life? Are the consequences different? Of course it's different, right? Yeah, like going and having a sex reassignment surgery is different than just having attraction towards the same sex. They're not the same physically, mentally, the whole deal. 
And when we just paint it with this broad brush, well, it's all just sin. Well, no, it, it is as far as its condemnation before God. It's not in regards to its consequence on the world and on creaturely, relation, neighborly relationships, families, etc. So we always have to run. That, I, think, I think that is an excuse that the Protestants like to use to, to just kind of excuse all kinds of sin. Is to say, well, it's all equal before God. It's all forgivable. Like, well, no, it all has different consequences. Hello, children. Just have a seat. You can listen. All right, so anyway, Jesus came by. Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus must have looked pretty silly crying out like that and also having thrown off his cloak. Left that part out. Look at that. Imagine going to church and someone screaming, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. I always think that Lutherans are a little too pious for me. I know I would be just like you if I'm in, I'm just like you when I'm in the pew. So, but I, I, I kind of look forward to the days when the kids scream and the, I had this in Chicago once I've told you this, where the guy sat in the front row, he came off the street and just started yelling at me during the sermon, but like interacting with me and the whole congregation's like, well, they didn't have to turn around. He's right up there. He came to the front row. He was right in front of the pulpit and he was doing the whole Baptist like interaction thing. He's like, you guys need to get more uncomfortable. That's fine. <laughs> I was like, I can roll with this. I can do this. Stay out of the garbage can, Patrick. All right. We scream when we are in danger, and Bartimaeus knew he was in danger. This is why he screamed. He cried out. All right. What did Bartimaeus scream? He screamed, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, children, can you go play in the hallway? Because you're a little loud. Take her out in the hallway. All right. Bartimaeus called Jesus the son of David because he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. King David was a great king of Israel. God had promised him a son that would sit on his throne forever. So there's, that's even probably more likely why he calls him son of David, is he's looking forward to a Messiah, right? The son who was promised. Jesus was the son of David. He was not the first son, but he was the great, 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 great grandson <laughs> after many, many years. I always try to, was it four? Four greats? Yeah, I think there's more in there. Bartimaeus knew that the son of David would save God's people. He would be a righteous king who would show mercy to the lame, blind, sinner, and the poor. Did Jesus answer Bartimaeus' prayer right away? Nope. Right. We have the same thing with the Canaanite woman or the Syrophoenician woman, right? Yeah, when Jesus calls her a dog and all of that. It seemed like Jesus ignored Bartimaeus' prayer. Did Jesus not really love Bartimaeus? Right. Of course not. Jesus was testing Bartimaeus to see if he would still call out to him even if he ignored him, right? So that's a whole other component, but you could interact, this could interact pretty well with what we heard in the sermon. That's the problem with waiting, right? Because you grow impatient because you're not hearing anything. Well, no, you are hearing, which is the difference with Christian waiting versus just God isn't silent. He keeps speaking to you even while you're waiting. All right. So this is even, this, Bartimaeus had it rougher than you do. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Because you hear Jesus' word, I forgive you, over and over and over. Yeah. Bartimaeus passed the test. Even after the crowd told him to be quiet, he still cried out to Jesus all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Although I'd say maybe Bartimaeus is more like us because most of our prayers are for bodily need, right? And those are the ones that usually go unanswered now and we wait for the resurrection when they will be answered fully, right? So maybe, it, maybe we are more like Bartimaeus that way. We're pleading for mercy, right? And sometimes we don't even get to see it in our lifetime. The mercy comes 
to the next generation or many generations down, right? Okay. Finally, Jesus answered Bartimaeus' prayer. He asked him, what do you want me to do to you? And Bartimaeus said, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus healed him, receive your sight. All right. So the author says there's three things we should learn here. I think he's right. First, faith never gives up. Even when someone tried to silence him, Bartimaeus never gave up praying to Jesus. He shouted out to him, faith never stops praying, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> we, do, we say it at the beginning, but then you notice it's how we end each petition in the prayer of the church as well. Yeah, so it's all over the place. Um, I think probably it's the word that, ha- that we hear most in the service. I said that yesterday in the, in the morning prayer. I didn't count. Did anybody count how many times we said you heard or said mercy today? Maybe do it next week. No, but because you said it yesterday, then I paid more attention. Mm, okay. I was more aware of Yeah, sometimes this happens for me too. I'll say something in the sermon, and then when it comes up later in the liturgy, I'll say it in a way to emphasize mm-hmm. that you're like, oh yeah, did you hear what we, this is what we said before? Uh, faith, no, you didn't, okay. Faith looks to the Lord for mercy. Um, to say, Lord, have mercy is to say, I totally need your help, O Lord. I cannot save myself. We do not pray, Lord, help me out a little here. <laughs> Nor do we pray, Lord, could I have a quick hand? No, Lord, have mercy on me, right? There's nothing I can do about this. So it's, it's, that, it's that complete, I want to say submission. I mean, that's really probably the right word. Um, recognition that, that we can do nothing apart from the Lord. Okay? And then three, as we talked about with faith, you can substitute the word Jesus, right? Faith does not believe just anything. Faith looks to a person. That person is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord. Bartimaeus confessed who Jesus is. He called him the Son of David, that is, the Christ. All right. So that, I mean, that's the key. We say, Lord, have mercy. And you notice um, it's a prayer. Why do you, why do you think, uh, just maybe, this is kind of a weird place to end or awkward, but I think it's maybe something you haven't noticed. Uh, especially with service one, two, and four, <laughs> uh, the Kyrie has petitions attached to it. Service three used to before it got put into our hymnal back in 18, no, 1912 or whenever that English hymnal came out. But um, Lord have mercy, I, I say Lord have mercy and then we say for, for all people according to their needs, right? For the, what are the petitions? My brain's lost. For the church and for all people according to their needs. That's how I say it before the, all right, I got a hymnal. We can just do this. Dun, 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 dun. I guess I'm at the end of my, uh, my brain power for the day. Oh, yes, here we go. For peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God, and for the unity of all, right? For this holy house and for all here who offer their worship and praise. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord, right? But all, the answer to all of those is, Lord, have mercy. Yeah, Lord, have mercy for this and for that and for everything, <laughs> if you want to put it that way. So we, why do you think we pray that after the intro it, right? And then we, we do the same thing again, but a little bit more specifically after the sermon. Why do we do that twice? Why not just do it all together? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> I, have, I have thoughts, of course. All right. Remember, what we, what, we have, what we do on Sunday morning is, is two parts. There's the service of the word and there's the service of the sacrament. 
They both start the same way. What? Yes, yes. They both start with petitions for mercy, right? So before we hear God's word, we plead for mercy in various and specific ways. Before we receive the sacrament, we again pray for mercy, right? Um, And it was not uncommon amongst Lutherans until fairly recently um, that not everybody stayed for the sacrament. If they, Ron and I have talked about this, I think maybe you've, Maybe some of you are old enough to remember that if you didn't go to confession on Saturday, you didn't go to the sacrament on Sunday. Did they do that here? All right. Many churches did. All right. Most of our churches did. We didn't hear it. Probably before your time. Before your time. Yeah, yeah, when you were really little. Yeah, it's been about at least 70 years for most of our churches. Yeah, so where was he in the list? Well, he was his victory in, uh, yeah, but, but 50s. 50s? And he was here after, after Meyer. After, uh, mm-hmm. Meyer. Or between Meyer and Zaff? Well, that's, yeah, that's 70 years ago. That's like I was saying. That's exactly what I'm talking about, right? So you would still come on Sunday, but you would leave, or you'd just sit in your pew during communion, right? Get a little slap on the wrist. Hmm. Does anybody really need to go to communion? Let's say that a different way. <laughs> Does anyone not really need to go to communion? Yeah. Well, what what is we said that in the I said it in the prayer of the church, and it was in yeah, it was in the prayer of the church. You know, what is necessary to be worthy and well prepared, according to the small catechism. Faith in these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, right? Yeah. So that's, that's why he would examine you to see, do you want forgiveness of sins? Do you have sins that, if you, that need forgiveness? You do, of course, but do you believe that, right? Before you leave, you always say, you are worthy of Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, but this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. So in older times, even older times, um, there was actually a, a cry that would go, the doors, the doors. Have you heard this? All right. So they would actually close the doors. They'd usher you out and then close the doors if you weren't, hadn't been examined and absolved for the sacrament. So it was two separate services. And then you'd have the prayer of the church, which is how you would start the second, ha- the second service. That prayer of the church now for us is kind of a transition between the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. Yeah. We were at my brother's church. He's a Wisconsin citizen. Oh, yeah. And they just left the people before the Did they? Yeah, there you go. So it's still hanging around in the Wisconsin Senate then. Squeaky, squeaky people. Hey, squeakies. Thank you. All right. That's probably a good place to end. I always listen to the children to tell me when to stop. All right, very good. Let's pray to close out here. Lord, in the midst of uh, many distresses, uh, disease, uh, great calamity, um, and other kinds of oppression and temptation that we suffer, you've promised to hear us when we cry out for mercy and to answer that prayer 
uh, with your forgiveness, with life and salvation. May you never stop reminding us of our need for mercy and lead us by faith to confess mercy in Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.